Okay. Uh, up next, these two guys have been here for the last couple weeks. Um, um, they asked me to read this. Warning. If you want your asses blown out, stay in the room. Ladies and gentlemen. Front face line. Buck Bagwell is what created the front face line. Why? Buck Bagwell is who is front face line. Don't fucking question me. Front face line can take it or they can shove it straight up their fucking ass. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Front Face Lock Podcast. I am your host, Ryan, and with me, as always, is the man, the myth, the legend, the one, the only, the man who's not afraid to throw a child out of his house for asking for better popcorn. <laughs> it's Vinny. What's up, guys? How are you? Uh, we're doing. Are you upset that uh, Cody Rosen came out on Raw the other no. night? Nope. Nope. I'm not. I'm... uh. I'm more upset at uh, one thing. I still don't have my book, my autograph, and my mask. Still. He's obviously on a bender because he's been missing it for five days. Think he's well, dead he knows somewhere? everybody's on to him. You think he's dead somewhere? I don't think he's dead somewhere. I just think that he knows everybody's on to him, so he doesn't want to fucking he – do, he doesn't want to, like, stay, put himself out there and have everybody talking shit to him. He's laying in the corner of his fucking studio apartment with – Plastic tubing tied around his bicep. The fucking other end in his mouth, and he's just like, I don't want to go back on Twitter. I don't know why my ECW championship belts can't work as a tourniquet. I'm going to have to pawn that shit soon. <laughs> Wifey needs a new set of legs. <laughs> he's going to wait like two months, and he's going to pop back up, thinking everybody forgot about it. Oh, it's over, bro. It's over. He's never going to He's never going to be safe. As far as long as I'm concerned, anytime he pops up with like uh, a Twitter post asking for money or or jobs, I'm blasting it. Oh yeah! Until you and get your book, me, I'll fucking get a new account and blast him again. He will be blasted by you in the butt with in your the penis. face. Face. Oh well, one day you'll get the book, Vinny, and, and everybody in the wrestling community is behind you. They all support you. They want you to get the book. You know how amazing it is that we were saying Rob Black, right? He uh, the first question he asked was if I had gotten the book. We also have Twitter accounts popping up now, basically joining the cause. One called PJ Excuses and just blasting hit Polacco everywhere we could go. Not to mention, there's like an army of people that follow your every move. That every time you tweet, "Where's my fucking book?" They pop up and go, yeah, where's my book too, motherfucker? Piece of shit. <laughs> but enough about Mr. Polacco, PJ Pole Smoking Polacco. We are joined today by the one and only Jacques Rougeau, the Ooh. Mountie. Mountie, eh? Maybe we can get him on the case. We'll ask him. We're going to ask the Mountie if the Mountie can join the cause. We can get him uh, some cross-border operations. Connecticut's close to Canada. Alberta. All right, so he's right there. He's right there. He could get hop on his fucking horse and Mountie along to Waterbury. <laughs> Mountie always gets his man. He always gets his man. He better fucking get this motherfucker. Well, he's here. Let's find out. Hello, Mr. Rougeau. How are you today? Hey. I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good, good. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, it's my pleasure. So I got Ryan and Vinny. Vinny. Yes. Very good. 
And I see your. I wanted to bring this up right off the bat because you mentioned you're wearing your pink shirt. Is uh, pink shirt day today in Canada, which you were a spokesperson. If you'd like to explain what that is for everyone. Well, it's, a, it's just a great day. You know, uh, many years ago, there was a 14-year-old, 12-year-old uh, little kid that wore a pink shirt at school and uh, and he just got bullied and uh, because of the color of the shirt. And so all the schools, the English board, uh, Mike Cohen, who's the president of the board, and uh, he just decided that every year he did a pink shirt day to sensibilize the, uh, the people on bullying. And uh, what a better guy to choose than me who got bullied. <laughs> so... <laughs> So for 20 years, I did conferences in the French side, uh, in the French schools. And uh, so uh, so I was honored that they chose me as spokesman uh, for this big event today. It was, you know what, it's, it's so amazing because I uh, I think I had more publicity today in Montreal and Quebec than I've had in years uh, with uh, Global TV and uh, Mitch Melnick and all the TV radio stations calling me. And uh, But it was fun to... Uh, I actually did a conference uh, this afternoon, a live conference on Zoom with 10 schools, actually 12 schools that were on Zoom. You know, oh, it's wow. a t technology, yeah? amazing. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I went and gave them a little uh, little bit of incentive and uh, explained to them how to fight bullying without using violence. And uh, so it was a great day uh, in, in Montreal today. I, I respect, I mean, pink's my favorite color. So I would, uh, you know, if I had a pink shirt, I would have wore it today as well. So. <laughs> You know, but like our F here is pink because that's my color and blue is his. So, you know, I yeah. totally respect that. It's a great thing you're doing there. Oh, yeah, you, should, you should have asked Bret Hart. He could have lent you a shirt. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Bret Hart. <laughs> Vinny is not a fan of Bret. I'm a Bret Hart fan. Vinny is not a, a big fan of Bret Hart. I was a Jim Neidhart fan. Yeah, I, I, I kind of liked the, I, I liked that team. It was a great team. It sure was. I uh, had so many years working against them, uh, two, two years as baby faces, and then switched heels, and then worked another two years against them. So we worked four years around the world with these guys. And so, not to uh, mention, I mean, you started at the Stampede Wrestling, uh, you know, Stampede Wrestling in, in uh, Calgary, 1977, for the legendary Stu Hart. How did that come about? Like, what got you in? I know you're from a wrestling family. But was it was that always like your destiny growing up? Like, okay, everybody in my family wrestles. My brother Ray, my father, my sister was a promoter. I'm just going to be a wrestler. Was there ever a plan B? Yeah, well, it started much before that. My great-great-uncle was a wrestler, Eddie Oje, and then my uncle Johnny was a wrestler. My father, they were the Rouge, the original Rougeau brothers, were my father, Jacques, and Johnny. And then there was uh, Raymond and I and my brother Armand, and then my three sons did wrestling too. But uh, you, you'd asked me a question there just before that. I wanted to answer it, but you asked too many questions at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> what was that first question you asked? Oh, yeah, it was too hard. I got to tell you this, how this started with Stu Hart was amazing. Uh, I was about uh, 170 pounds wet, you know, when I was about uh, 17 years old. I was, uh, my family actually uh, nicknamed me Bones when I was young. I was, I was so skinny. And um, so I told my dad, I said, hey, you know, I, I've been wrestling for a couple of years now, you know, in minor leagues and just uh, little places. And I said, I think I'm ready to hit the road because wrestling was in my blood since I was four years old. And uh, so my father looked at me, he says, nah, nah, he says, you, you, you're, you're too small, you know? So, so I went to see my mom uh, behind my dad's back and, uh, and I borrowed $500 and I made this famous call to Stu Hart. The Hart uh, family was out west and the Rougeaus were at the east of Canada. And uh, I, I knew the reputation they had. And uh, so I took this, uh, this, this dime at the time and put it in a payphone, and I, uh, I called Stu. And it was amazing because I didn't know nothing about Stu when I called him. And uh, 
So when he got the call and he, he said it was, I said it was Jimmy Rougeau because Jimmy was my English name when I was young, like Jacques in French and Jimmy in English. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I left him a message to his family that uh, Jimmy Rougeau would like to speak with him. And, and then when he, he heard it was a Rougeau, so he, so he took my call. And, and when he took the call, it was so funny. What a character, that man. You know, it's like uh, he took the phone and, and I'll remember it like it was yesterday. I said, uh, Mr. Hart? I said, uh, this is Jimmy Rougeau uh, from Montreal. I said, uh, I was wondering if you had any room in your territory, you know, for me for me to start, you know. And he answered me, says, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, are you, uh, are you uh, uh, J Jack's, uh, Jack's son? And I said, yes, I am, sir, I am. I said, uh, yeah, yeah, the Rougeau's there, uh, the Rougeaus, they're pretty famous there uh, out in the east. Eh? And, uh, and the way he was talking to me, it was just amazing. <laughs> you know, like I, I thought this guy's a character, man. Like, you know, this is something else. And uh, what a great, it took him two minutes to say uh, that he'd take me in the territory. And so I went to see my mom. I got the $500 behind my father's back and boom, I took the plane out. And, uh, and I went there and it was amazing because uh, there was such a, you know, we thought we had a big family. You know, we were like five kids, but uh, I think they had 13 kids there over there and uh, plus yeah. about 20, 20 cats in the house. And it's like, it was just amazing. On, on Sundays, you know, I was alone by myself and it was my first territory. And he, because probably he had a lot of respect for my dad and my uncle, the Rougeau family, he, he really took me in. And uh, on Sundays, he would, uh, he would have me come over to his house, you know, and then he, for lunch. And uh, and uh, with all the beautiful daughters that were there and everything, you know, it was just a great time. And uh, and then uh, I, I, it took me a little while, not too long, before I realized that after the lunch, he'd always try to invite me downstairs to his dungeon, you know. Like uh, he had this place there where he used to stretch the guys, you know. <laughs> and I always had an excuse, like, yeah, well, I'm busy, I'm busy there, Stu, this, today. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, Brett was driving the bus at the time. You know, he wasn't even working. And uh, we actually coming back from Saskatoon one night, and Brett hit a moose, and then I always, I'll, I'll always remember that. But uh, but anyway, yeah, it was a great, great territory, a nice family and friendly territory, and uh, and from there my career started. I went from uh, Mexico in '78, and uh, uh, then '79 Kansas City, and uh, and Lord, my career started in all those small territories. But 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 to, to this day, I've always had the greatest respect for Stu Hart. And uh, for giving me my first chance, you know, to, to start my forty-one year career. Now you, you know, you say you went to Mexico, you did Stampede. How did the uh, how did the call from Vince come about? Well, that was a little while after because I started in seventy-seven, and the call came in eighty-four, actually, when I had a, a falling out with Dino Bravo and Rick Martel and Frank Valois, the organization at home. I, I felt like I wasn't being used like I wanted to uh, because I was one of the few guys that when came September or, or, or November when the snow started coming down where where they'd work once a week at the Paul Sauvé Arena every Monday night, but I'd always take out, I'd, I'd take off south, I'd go and starve. Uh, I remember in 78, uh, actually in 78, I was in uh, for Nick Goulas in Nashville, Tennessee, and, uh, and, and I was making, I think, $185 a week we had to pay our hotel. I was paying like three cents a mile with uh, traveling with uh, Angelo Pofo and Randy Macho Man's father and uh, and Randy, and uh, we were traveling together. 
and they were paying three cents a mile, and uh, and and and, and I, I remember eating like at least five days a week. I was eating like tuna fish, you know, like with crackers. And then on the Sunday, I'd go to McDonald's. That was my big day, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but you know, I paid my dues like that every winters. You know, I'd go down south, I'd go into territories, and I'd come back in the spring to shine at home in Montreal and to show all the fans what I learned. Especially when I went to Mexico, you know, I learned all these flips and high flying and stuff. So when I got back home, they were used to seeing the same routine every Monday night with the locals that were always there, and they they didn't learn as much when you're staying at home working with the same guys. So so I, I was going up the ladder pretty much, and I was uh, I was very excited to make it like in bigger positions, better positions. And when came 1984, it'd been like uh, seven years since I'd been working. And I, I, I considered myself the best worker in the world, but I was probably just a good worker. But anyway, that was, that was my outlook on the things. And anyway, but, uh, but I, I wasn't happy with the position that, that Dean was giving me. So I just, uh, I left. I, I took off in the, in, in the summer season and I went to, uh, I think it was uh, Pensacola, Florida for Robert Fuller. And uh, I was there and, uh, and out of nowhere, when Pat Patterson, who was right-hand man of Vince at the time and booking for him, he uh, he got the word that I was gone. But he also knew that I was one of the most popular in Quebec, like uh, one of the because the young, you know, I had seven years, I had I had hair on my head in those days. I looked pretty good, and you know, and I was a high flyer, high drop kicks off the top rope, and it was very spectacular. So he made the call, and he uh, he asked me if I wanted to go work in Montreal, opposition. To, to Dino Bravo and them, and I said, "Yep, for sure." So I wrestled Samu, uh, and uh, was in main event in the Verdun Auditorium, and uh, and then right after I did that shot, and then for about a whole year after that, Pat kept calling me uh, to come back. But when I did that shot, Dino gave me everything I wanted after, like you know, he put me champion and, and with Raymond and tag teams, and we we were having a great uh, run there. But uh, but finally. Uh, it's like uh, for a year, for a whole year. Yeah, it's funny because before I went with Raymond in 86, I think that we went WWF uh, in like 85 to 86. I was back in Montreal, but uh, it wasn't uh, Rick Martel wasn't there anymore. And uh, and he wanted me to team up with Rick Martel to go into WWF. And uh, and I was saying, nope, nope, nope. For those many reasons why I said no. Uh, the first reason is because you know we were really close, my brother and, and uh, Raymond and myself in those in those days, and uh, and plus Raymond was a tough guy, really tough guy. My brother is a really fighter, and I'm an artiste, but my brother is a really tough guy, and uh, so so and I knew that Rick Martel was an artiste also, <laughs> you know. So two artists that go into yeah, yeah. WWF. You know, I don't have any backup there, you know, if, if the shit yeah. hits the fan, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so, uh, so I wasn't, I didn't feel comfortable going in that jungle uh, at the time. And then, so finally, when I went back with Raymond and Dino gave me everything and then for, for a while, uh, Vince called me and or Pat was calling me almost every two months, Jacques, we want you, we want you. And then finally I told him, I said, okay, I said, I'll do it at one condition. I said, uh, I take my brother Raymond with me. And uh, so, so that's how we made our entry into the WWF in 86. That was actually going to be my next question, whether it was uh, getting you to go to WWE was going to be a package deal with your brother, but you uh, already answered that for me. I felt comfortable with my brother Raymond. We knew each other. We were great workers together. I didn't, I could never, you know, we, we had worked like 10 years before that together, you know, during the summer, every season, or actually from, from 77 to 86 or nine years. And every time I'd come home and uh, he was the guy that uh, I didn't have to look behind me. I knew where he was. You know, I just, we just knew, we just knew each other. And that's where they say blood is thicker than water. You know, yeah. 
and there's a level of trust there because you guys yeah. work together so much. And then the high spots, we knew our spots. We knew we knew each other so much that we knew that if we started working one little piece of a high spot that the rest was coming through. So I didn't have to look back to see if he was at the right place at the right time and stuff like that. That that made us special. And plus, Raymond and I, we, uh, you know, we came in as baby faces in, in, in 86 for Vince, but it was very hard for the Americans to have two Quebecers like heroes. You know, they, they, the Americans are very patriotic. And, and you know, so 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 it was like more. It was, uh, and our work was absolutely great. You know, if you remember those years, you know, we just, but we just didn't get the push that that we needed to get over, or we just didn't get over one or the other. But but we worked tremendously with all the teams. You know, I remember working the hearts like so many times. You know, when they were heels, they had Jimmy Hart. But uh, but when we made the switch, uh, when we went heels, God, that was a blast. Yeah. You know, that, that that was really something extraordinary. I'm sure that, you know, when you wind up being a heel in a American territory as WWE, uh, you know, mainly w uh, American territory, and it must have been such a relief and an easy transition to to make, like you said, Americans are patriotic, to make them hate. You could just prey on exactly what pushes their buttons. It was so much fun because the two years, and this people don't understand that, uh, some things come easy, but there's two things I want to say. That when we first turned heel, when they approached us to turn heel, we went like, holy <laughs> shit, like my, 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 my uncle's going to turn in his grave up in the sky. You know? like, <laughs> the, the Rujos were babyface all their lives. Right. But at the same time, at the same time, Raymond and I, we'd, we, we'd be busting our, our, our bees, there, you know, and uh, I don't know if I could say it, but we were busting yeah, our you ass. You can say whatever you want on here. <laughs> we were busting our ass to, to, to try to get over and we'd have great matches, and we'd work so hard, and we'd always have those haters or people that would always, like, shit on our work, you know, and, 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 and go back to Canada, and go back to Canada. So that, that for two years, we were told that, and we were going by the book, trying to get over and working very hard. So when we finally agreed that we were going to turn heel, we had no idea how fun this was going to be. Like, you know, <laughs> so finally, finally, you know, uh, we don't like heavy metal. We don't like rock and roll. All we like to listen to is Barry Manilow. Hey! <laughs> but that was, and then saying, hey, all you Americans who want to wish you a good, happy Thanksgiving weekend when it was Independence Day. No, it wasn't. <laughs> so, 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 so all that was really fun. And, I, and then I could see the same guys that were telling me to go screw myself, you know, and, and they were telling me to go screw myself that, but I was telling them that, you do too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it was great turning heel with Jimmy as a manager. Now, was was any of that due to in part? I mean, you guys uh, technically you won the tag team championship at a house show, yeah. and then the next match was the uh, Killer Bees match. You guys turn heel, mm -hmm. and then you go. The, you know, obviously history is spoken, but was what was the story behind you? You won the belts, and then they don't even acknowledge that you have it <laughs> that you ever won it. So, was that anything to do with you turning heel? Maybe. No, that we just turned heel on Vince. No, no, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but no, it was it was bad because you know all these years we talk about the the Montreal screw job, you know, with uh, Shawn Michaels and and Brett. But the real screw job in Montreal were to the Montreal fans. Were like you know we we won the titles, and and there's eight million people in the province of Quebec that watch TV WWF, and they they put in they put this little article in the paper that's th about this big, and it says because of the the wrong guy being in the ring and the megaphone, they can't, they finally, we won't win the titles that we were DQ'd or something like that. 
but there's about 800,000 people that saw that, but there's about 7.2 million that didn't see that. So when they all waited for to get on TV on Saturday to see the Rougeau brothers representing the world, you know, the Quebec flag and the fleur de lis, and, and then they, they went and the hearts came out never acknowledging it, people went like, that was a screw job. That was a real screw job. And I heard just lately, it's so funny, and the business is so many things that happen, that different stories from different people. But I heard they did the same thing with the Rockers. Like the Rockers, they won in Texas, yeah. the title. Yeah. And they, they did the same screw job there to the people. So I, I don't know if it was a way from, they thought they were giving a candy to the people at the night of the show, but the people in Montreal, Quebec, I don't know, I think they're different. And they didn't take it that good, you know. It was like they they, they were really pissed, and uh, but uh, but I guess they forgot it uh, eventually. But I didn't, but uh, because I uh, we worked so hard, Raymond and I as a as a team, and always on time, never took drugs, you know, never missed a flight, you know, always early in the dressing rooms, always professional for for everything that we did, even the way we dressed in the airports, you know, we were always professional, and uh, and after four years of being in the territory. Every time Pat would give us a little candy, like, come on, guys, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then here comes Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. They just were right in front of us and they took the titles. And that's when my brother Raymond said, no, that's enough. Uh, I, I, we're out of here. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't want to hear my opinions on Arn Anderson, but. Yeah, <laughs> not fans of Arn Anderson either. Yeah, yeah. In my business, in my business, you know, it's like uh, I've had my differences with Arn Anderson, but I'll keep that to myself. But I'm just saying that you never know when you're going to meet the people again. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, so, uh, so I remember my father when I was young, uh, he gave me this advice, you know, because I was a little cocky when I was young, you know, I thought I was the greatest thing that ever came and uh, thought I was the greatest worker. And, uh, and my father at one point, he told me, he says, Hey son, he says, let me tell you something. He says, uh, you're flying up there. You're going up there. You really are. He says, you're really doing good, but 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 you better be nice to everybody on the way up because one day you're going to start going back down and you're going to meet all these people again. <laughs> and he says, and if you were nice to them, if you were nice to them, they're going to try and stop your fall. But if you were an asshole, they're going to just open their hands and they're going to say, go ahead and fall, you know, like hit the ground. So so I've learned that in, in, with the years just to try to keep my interviews positive because I could have stories this long about people that deserve the opposite, but I, right. but, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't give me any, any good out of that. You move from tag team to a uh, singles competitor. You know, they give you uh, the gets us back. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think for uh, at least me, I don't know if I can speak for Ryan. That was probably one of my favorite gimmicks of when oh, yeah. I was growing up. How does that get approached to you as, Hey, you're going to be a singles guy now, or was that something that you wanted to pursue? You know, I had no idea what was going on. I was home and I was just taking a year off. And my, 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 my wife at the time was having my first son. So it was all good, you know, just living, finally not being for four years, 25 days on the road every month and just flying from airports to gyms, to hotels, to restaurants and to arenas and then not living for four years. So, so I wasn't rushed and I'd save my money. So, you know, I wasn't rushed to come back, but when Vince gave me the call and Vince told me, he said, uh, he said, Jacques, he says, we'd like to, 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 to have this new character with you. And then he had foreseen the idea of Big Boss Man eventually uh, meeting me on the long run, you know, just ahead. But it was, you know, you know, you talk about having fun in the business. You know, I had so much fun in that character. Like, like I'll tell you, the first time I started, you guys seem pretty smart about the business, so you may know what I'm going to say. But uh, I, when I first started my vignettes, you know, like uh, before I entered the territory as the Mountie, 
<clears throat> you'd have Mean Gene by the ring with uh, Jesse the Body. You say, "Well, you know, Mean Gene coming to the WWF soon as the Mountie from Canada," and you know, and then they show vignettes. And and one of the first vignettes I did was absolutely so much fun. I was like in a park in in Quebec, and a public park, and I'm on my horse. And I got this Mountie on my, my suit on. I'm a real Mountie, I guess. But anyway, so I'm standing, I'm on the horse. And there's this car that pulls up to me. And it's two Americans. That, that, that it's, it's actually two extras. But they're supposed to be two Americans that pull up beside me in a car. And they're lost. So he stops by my horse. And he says, he puts his window down, the guy. He's got his girlfriend with him. So he puts his window down. And he says, excuse me, officer. Excuse me, officer. And I'm on my horse at this arrogant look. And I look down to him. I said, I'm not an officer on the Mountie. So the guy looked at me like, holy shit. So he looks at his girlfriend and says, I think I just got a wacko here, you know. So he looks back up to me and says, excuse me, Mr. Mountie. He says, can you tell me how to get back to the USA? We're lost. So, so, so slowly I got this arrogant face. I put my leg over my horse. I get off slowly. I get in front of the window with the driver. Come here. So the guy's looking at me. Not sure he's going to get out of the car. So his girlfriend gives him a slap on the shoulder. Come on, get out. So then, so finally he gets out of the car and I, I said, come here. So I bring him at the front of my horse. And when I get to the front of my horse, I take my horse like this and I put his head up like this. I said, you see that part of my horse? It always points to Canada. I said, come here. So I bring him at the ass of my horse in the back. And then I lift the whole tail up and the camera's right in the donut. You know, and, and, it's like, and I go like this. I look at the guy and say, you see that part of my horse? It always points to the USA. So, so the guy he jumps in his car and he spins his wheels and he gets the hell out of there. I got to tell you, the Americans don't have a sense of humor, boy. Because <laughs> when I started in Philadelphia at the Spectrum and the gardens in Boston and Nassau Coliseum in Long Island, those were the first three shots I did. Woo! I went down the ramp where the hockey players could get out of the car, but... I swear to God, I was getting hit by rocks and stuff. Like that. <laughs> and for a whole month, I had to have someone drive me in the building. You know, because oh, wow. people, people wanted to kill me. But I was having so much fun with that character. Like, you know, it was, it, it was just awesome. It was, it was such a great heel character. Yeah. Because, you, like, in that time especially, you wanted to hate the heel. You didn't yeah. want to, you know, like now that the lines are kind of blurred and like Stone Cold and a couple of people kind of did that. But yeah. back then, I mean, people were, boss man was the face. He was the American officer. And then it, you come along yeah. and everybody goes, who the hell is this fucking guy? The Mountie? Yeah. No, especially, the boss man, not this guy. Especially with the song that I'm handsome, I'm brave, and I'm strong. We were just listening to that. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, when we were growing up, in, in I guess, like I said, back to you know Americans not having sense of humor too, we always <laughs> hated or had gave heat to the foreign, of course, the heel. You know, you had the Iron Sheik and Colonel Mustafa when Sergeant Slaughter decided to go over to uh, you know be on their side during the Iraq War. You know, the Mountie. Every it was the Hart Foundation when they decided to turn heel. It's always it's just so easy to it, it was and the Japanese the Japanese yep, yep, the, yep, yep, yep. you know everybody that came from from outside of USA was automatically hey you know what I'll tell you I'm just giving a flasher uh, the, I can't remember what year it was but anyway there was a war and uh, and when you crossed the Lincoln Tunnel to go into to Manhattan there was this big American flag like you know bigger than than the universe it was so big so big you know and it was saying we are the greatest <laughs> you know 
and, 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 and they were so like, you know, the Americans were so like, Jesus Christ, they wanted war, you know, they, they were so, uh, and I was looking at them like, holy Christ, you know, these guys are really into this stuff. Like, you know, they, they, they think they're the best in the world, that they think everybody else is, the uh, Americans had a lot of heat with the, uh, the rest of the world too. Oh, sure, like, yeah. You know, the, the heels that we were portraying had a lot of heels, heat for you guys. But you guys, I'll tell you what, you had a lot of heat with all the other countries. Now, now speaking speaking of that, when you, what about with other wrestlers in, in within the promotion? So you being a Canadian wrestler versus, I don't know. Lot, you know, I'll bring you to somewhere that, that that's uh, that I, I, I'm happy today to bring to your attention, to the fans' attention. Uh, you know, a lot of the boys, I'm not going to mention any names, but uh, I'll tell you something first, just to put you in, in my own state of mind. Okay. Normal people are here, and uh, autistic people are here. And, and, and I, I'm about right here, you know? And uh, so, so just to put you in my state of mind, I've always had a hard time with fiction in life, and I have some to grab the reality sometimes of things. And, and, and for me in life, everything like emotional was bigger than the normal person. Like when, when things were dark, they're really dark. When things are good, they're really good. You know, like I, I, I was almost like bipolar. And, and, and but at the same time, I had a hard time, you know, understanding the mentality sometimes, you know, and just being one of the boys, a normal boy. And uh, so when I was in the dressing room, I had more heat than my brother Raymond. You know, because because Raymond, he never talked. He never said anything. He's very smart, my brother Raymond. He's actually a mayor today in in, our, in the city where he lives. He's the mayor, but uh, oh, wow. but he was a he's a very good businessman in that. He he was very intelligent, and uh, so he never spoke. And uh, but I always spoke my mind. You know, I always was. I, my mother always told me when I was young, "Why don't you turn your tongue seven times before you talk?" <laughs> I never listened to it. But anyway, so so I was very free with my words, how I felt. I said it, but I wasn't never mean to anybody. I never was. I was just like one of those guys that you know. For you guys, you were hearing me talk, and I'd speak my mind. Example, give you an example. Uh, one of the guys that was friends with Hulk had a push there because he was friends with Hulk, and he was in the dressing room one time. And he goes like this, and Raymond and I were speaking French. So so he goes out in front of all the boys, and he says, uh, try to be smart, I guess. And uh, so 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 he goes out, and he says, uh, hey, why don't you speak English? And, I, and before anybody had anything to say, I said, why don't you kiss my ass? You know, like, you know, <laughs> like I, I have a better time speaking French. You know, it's easy for me to speak French. Right. And, when, and why don't you tell that to Tito Santana when he speaks to Pedro Morales in Spanish? You know, like, uh, so, so I always spoke my mind, you know, I always, had, and, and a lot of the boys, they, they had this hatred towards Canadians a lot at the time, because first of all, every time they got their booking sheets, we had like a month ahead of time of booking sheets at the time. So we'd all look at the booking sheets to see if Hulk was on the card first and then to see where we were. And then those are the two things we checked. And, and the first thing that, that come to mind is like when they go to Canada, they'd say something like, Oh, we're going to fucking Canada again. And I was saying, well, fuck you too. You know, and I'd speak, I'd defend my, my country and I'd defend right. my place. But 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 there was reasons because of that. Uh, when I made $1,000 in a show, you know, I'd go home in Montreal. It was worth 
$1,400 because of the exchange of the money. But when you guys come to Montreal and make $1,000 Canadian, it would only be $600 when you go back home. It would be the opposite. So the guys hated to come to work to Canada. Plus, they wouldn't be able to, they, they couldn't cross their drugs. And it was a, it was a, it was a drug store. <laughs> you know, these guys were drug stores. So it was like, so every time they crossed, they had to get rid of all the roids or off the, the uppers, the downers. And they hated Canada. But, but, but by hating Canada, I hated them. Because I always had respect for people right. that I that I worked around with, so 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 that brought a lot of heat with me. I remember too when you know just to look back when I think of all those days, you know I was so easy to manipulate because you know when we have these meetings like a TV days once a month, you know Vince would put everybody together in the room, says he'd bring in some new rules or some new things, and then he'd say, "Does anybody have anything to say?" And the guys would put push me up to go, come on, Jock, come on, Jock, you know, go ahead. Yeah, and, I, I got something to say. <laughs> and, then, and then I'd say something because I wanted to get over with the boys, you know, yeah. like, but but I'd get heat with Vince, you know, but they but they, but they they knew that they could use me like that, you know, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I wasn't right up there, you know, but, but anyway, all this to say that, uh, yeah, there was a lot of heat, but I always spoke my mind, but I, but I, uh, but now the funniest thing is uh, I realized today that a lot of the guys liked me a lot. Because uh, I'm doing this competition, you know, now and it's uh, this great wrestling academy in Canada from coast to coast. And I have all, if you go on wrestling-academy.ca, you'll see all these old timers like Jake the Snake, Million Dollar Man, Lanny Poff. You'll see the, uh, Ronnie Garvin, uh, Ricky Steamboat, uh, Tito Santana, Arriba. You know, Fred, they have Fred Ottman's on there, Tugboat. Yeah. And there's a bunch of guys that are all giving me this favor for nothing. You know, they're just happy that I'm – so I, I realize now that they liked me at the time. It's It, it wasn't – but me, I was taking it personal. Like, you know, uh, anyway, like I said, you know, I had a hard time in life of comprehension of the situation sometimes. And, uh, and and of course, and uh, things happen as we know with the with the bulldogs and stuff like that. So so that wasn't that wasn't uh, and the bulldogs were so. Uh, I'm thinking about the bulldogs mostly today because today was a uh, the pink shirt day, the anti-bullying, <laughs> which I've been doing uh, classes and everything against bullying, and I and I can't help but remember those guys. But I can, and I also can't remember. I, I also can't uh, forget that uh, when I did what I had to do. Just to, not to become a McFly like Back in the Future, you know, the movie Back in the Future. I didn't want to be a McFly. A lot of the guys two weeks later when the Bulldogs left and they quit, they came up to me. And, and I, remember, I remember Terry Taylor coming to me and slapping me on my butt and just saying, uh, Jacques, uh, I should have done that a long time ago. You know, you know, and a lot of guys wanted to do that, but they were afraid of them. You know, they just were a reign of terror, the Bulldogs, in the dressing room. And you could ask Virgil, you could ask a honky-tonk man, you could ask a lot of guys. That, that, uh, Outback Jack, I don't know if you remember, a guy came with the crocodile. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. They ruined his life. You know, they ruined him. They alcyoned him in the bar and they shaved his hair and they brought him Jeez. sick in, in the airport the next morning in front of Vince Hulk. And so, so he lost his job. So they were doing things that were really mean. And, and uh, so, so all this to say that uh, uh, and me... Well, uh, because I always spoke my mind, then it got me in a lot of trouble sometimes. I don't, you know, I don't know if I would say I, I didn't want to get into because I know we all I saw the dark side of the ring episode. Yeah. And, you know, and I know it is anti-bullying day, the pink shirt day up there, and it was a bullying thing that happened. But I wouldn't say that uh, what you did was necessarily a bad thing because you stood up for what, as you found out later, what other people wanted to do, and you kind of ended a, a quote-unquote reign of terror that was happening in the locker room. 
It was a, it was, it was the biggest life-changing thing in my life because after that, so many things happened. You know, I, uh, I became intercontinental champion. I beat Hulk Hogan in Montreal, and there's so many things that I, that I accomplished after that that I realized that if I wouldn't have stood up for myself, what everything I would have lost. You know, yeah. and and after that, and after that, you know, I think of all the positive that came out of that. Although I suffered mentally so bad and uh, trauma in my my mind, and like I said, everything's always worse than, than me than a normal person. So it was so horrible. But after that, for 20 years, I opened up my own federation, you know, in, in Quebec, a family oriented federation. And, and in every town I'd go for 20 years, I, I would be asked to go speak to the kids about bullying. And and and, and when I, I I did almost every school possible in French in, in Quebec. And, and and people at the beginning, I remember they were telling me like, oh, Jacques, you know, some of the haters would say, oh, Jacques, he's using that to get over. But but the, the other people were saying, the normal people, which were mostly, I, I was very over in Montreal, and, I, and thank God I still am today, they were saying, oh, Jacques, what a great guy he is, you know, to help the kids like that. But, but the truth is, I wasn't doing it for the kids. I was doing it for me. Because yeah. me, every time I'd help the kids in the school, it would it would make me feel better about myself and it was like a, it was almost like a and you know in life uh, many people that help for different causes cancer anything like that it's because it's sick people it's people yeah. that have lived that emotion and that trauma and then they go share it with people and, and just because it's almost like therapy for them it's you know the ironic thing about the pink shirt days it's an anti-bullying thing, an amazing cause. But if you look back at the Mountie's career, the Mountie was kind of a bully. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, the funny thing is, like, you know, when we started talking a couple weeks ago about you coming on, I didn't realize as a kid, because at the time I was like 11 in 91, or 10 or 11, <laughs> I didn't realize how short of a span of time you were actually the Mountie no. and then the, the no. Quebecers. I didn't, because you accomplished... Intercontinental Championship and a three-time, you know, tag team championship in like a two and a half, three-year span, and it's just amazing that everything got squeezed in there. And personally, like looking back at that time period, the Mountie was such a great heel character, and there's so much that could have been done with the Boss Man. But I personally, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think you might have gotten lumped into the beginning of that bad gimmick era of WWE that came along with. Joint the clown. Well, well, what I, what, I, what I, there's two, three things I want to bring up here. First of all, that uh, if it wasn't for the uh, snobbish of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police who banned me from TV in Canada because I was giving them a bad image, you know, oh. it was only for, they they put an injunction to Vince, so that's why my character was pulled out really fast. And, oh. and, 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 and yeah, there was a real lawsuit there, a big lawsuit. And, and I was always telling to myself, I hated the Mounties after that for real because I was saying, hey, how many times did I see a dirty movie and the guy, the cop is a dirty cop, you know, and uh, but that they, they didn't stop the cops from being cops. You know, it's, it's a movie, it's entertainment, you know, right. like, hey, exactly. hey, Mounties, like real Mounties. I was saying, hey, get off your high horse there. You know, it's like, uh, <laughs> Jesus, it's an expression. I don't know if you say that in English, but anyway, yeah, French, yeah. It's an yeah. get off your high horse. And uh, so, so all this to say that the. Uh, and, and the funniest thing today is amazing. I mean, I'm doing this conference in front of 12 schools, you know, like Zoom, like this. But they're all the schools having me on giant scream, and they're asking questions and stuff after this thing. And uh, and when they start, this the, the, the principal of the board, Mike Cohen, he introduces me, and he puts a, a video of me being the Mountie and being like an asshole. 
They don't want that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not Westerner. I was going like, and when like, I first started the video, I, I, first thing I told Mike when I got into it, I said, hey, great introduction, guys. Like, really great introductions on this beautiful pink shirt day. You know, like, uh, <laughs> it just don't fit. Because I was probably the guy who was bullying the most at the time. But, uh, hey, but kids, here's this asshole going to teach you not to bully. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think the people understand that it was yeah. like, hey, the kids in, in elementary school and, and in high school understood that it was only a character. It's too bad the Mounties didn't understand. Yeah. You know, the real Mounties. That's crazy that it would, it would get to that level. But like Ryan was saying, growing up, I literally remember those gimmicks lasting for years in my head. And it, I, I don't remember it being that short a period of time because we were talking about and, it right before. And you know what's funny about this? I'll tell you what's even more funnier is uh, I think I had a great impact with my characters, each one of them, because I, uh, I was the shortest-lived intercontinental champion for two days only. I only won the title for two days, and for 30 years now I've been going to Comic-Cons, and every picture I have, I got the belt or I got my That's dolls great. have the belt. You know, <laughs> I'm going to, and I'm going to myself like, wow. You know, and I'll tell you a funny story about that too. That was a really funny story is uh, I'm in Springfield, Massachusetts, and and Vince calls me over with Pat in the room, and and and, uh, and he says, uh, Jacques, he says we got good news and bad news, and he says which one would you like to have first? So I said, well, give me the good news, you know. So he says, well, tonight you're gonna win the Intercontinental title. I said, no, no. I say, holy shit. Like, you know, that's amazing. You know, I and, and uh, so then Pat's saying, don't jump, don't jump, Jock. Sit down. I sit down. And then he says, uh, I said, oh, he says, well, I got to give you the bad news. He says, okay, he said, you're going to drop it in two days. And I'm like, and I went like, okay. But, but, I wasn't, <laughs> I, but I wasn't offended or nothing. I was just happy right. that they, because Brett didn't want to do the job for Piper, obviously. That's what it was. So they needed a switch to, to get a middle guy, but hey, I love that position. So what the funny part of this story is, is I get the title. It's about eleven o'clock at night, and I called this old man in Montreal. He's a good friend of mine. He works for the newspaper, the biggest newspaper in Montreal. So I tell him, I said, "Hey, Andre," I said, "Andre," he said, "Yeah, who's calling me?" I said, "Jacques, Jacques." He says, "It's eleven o'clock at night." And I know he's an old man, so he goes probably to bed at eight o'clock. So, so I, I go. So I said, I said to him, I said, I'm gonna send you a picture. He says, I say, I'll send you a picture. I said, I won the intercontinental. He's Jacques. He says, call me in three days, okay? I'm busy for the next few days. And I said, I said, no, 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 Andre, Andre, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. And you know, I kept him on the phone. I says. You gotta put this picture in the next two days. Wow. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise your article is gonna be the shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, but uh, but that was funny. I just wanted to bring that up because it was so funny. But I wasn't that was offended funny. that I only kept it for two days because actually, everywhere I go, every podcast I do in the world, and I do so many, it's a the Intercontinental Champion, yep. <laughs> and I'm going like. It's so funny, you know. I only had it for two days, you know, but it but it stuck with me. Two days longer than a lot of people have had it, so that's always you're always going to be known. That's one way to look at it, but uh, but it's all it is funny. And sometimes I do podcasts, and people are they they, they the, the young new guys that are doing podcasts. They come up to me and they said, Jacques, is it is it okay if we say that you only had it for two days? <laughs> you know, there's almost like they're they're afraid to ask me, you know, and and I find it funnier than they do, you know, like it's a. Uh, it, it was a great time. It was a great moment. All my, like I said, all my dolls have this, the belt, and 
I go to Comic Con, so I'm I'm very proud of that. Uh, I am. And uh, so now the whole injunction thing, or the, the the lawsuit with the Mountie, is was that before the the you turned into Quebecers, even though you still yeah. had the same outfits? Well, we cut the sleeves off. We took the logos off, also the RCMP logos, the official logos that we had on, and we came out. We're not the Mounties. Yeah. Yes. And so we gave a little shot to the. I think Vince wanted us to give him a shot to the Mounties, but but uh, then again, it was great because. Uh, on the first day we came in, we beat the Steiners and became the World Tag Team Champions on the first night in Manhattan Center and then won them three times over a period of a year and a half. Dropped them to Marty Jannetty, one, two, three, kid. Dropped them to, uh, uh, I can't remember who, and then to the moms. I took them back and then to the... So I had it three times the title. And uh, so that again, everywhere I go, people remember us as the Tag Team Champions of the world. You know, the Carl and myself, the Quebecers. And so, so I think that the titles they stick to me, you know, they they really do. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, nothing to be ashamed of, right there. You're always going to be remembered as a champion. You know, yeah, I think I, I always say to people, you know, I'm very, uh, I'm very uh, sad not to be in the Hall of Fame because all the people that are around me, they're all the people that I work with, all the people that I was with, because I had a falling out with Vince. You know, I I, I just say to myself. It's 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 Vince should he's a smart man and he should not be putting people in the Hall of Fame for 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 his relationship with them personally, but he should put them in for the talent. And I always said to myself, you know, I'm, uh, you should. I'll tell you another spot there where I think uh, it's amazing how my my characters are powerful. One night, Randy Macho Man quits the business just out of like that and the blues at a TV show. So Vince, like he's and Macho Man was a babyface. So, so Vince turns around and he's thinking, what can I do? What can I do? So then finally he gets me and Sid Justice, Sid Vicious in a room. And Sid Vicious, he's the hottest heel on the planet in his own mind. So it's like, so, so, so he's sitting down, so he's sitting in the dressing room with me. And, and so Vince says, listen, uh, he says, Randy, you know, quit and this and that. So he says, we're going to have to make a new baby face tonight. So he says, Sid, we'd like to turn you baby face. Ha, 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 ha. He started laughing. And then he said, he says, I can't turn baby face. I got too much heat. I got too much heat, you know. And and, and then, so long story short is I went out first. And when I got to the ring, you know, and I started my promo, like, you know what? I'm looking at all you bunch of hillbillies out here. And like 18,000 hillbillies. And I don't think I see one man in this place. And you know what? That dressing room I just left. I don't think I saw a man in that dressing room either. And by that time, Sid Justice comes out with the curtain. He's the biggest baby face he's ever been in his life. <laughs> so I always said to myself, so I always said to myself in this business, like in movies, to create Batman, you have to have a good Joker, you yeah. know? And to have a hero, you have to have a hell of a good villain, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so the, that's what I think. That's my perspective on the business. So you guys need to start a petition, the Mountie in the Hall of Fame. Well, I, was, I wanted to get to that because I, I wanted to get to that because I did. I heard you on a Jeremy Prophet show, and you, you talked about yeah. And I, I did want to get to. I don't know. Can you see my questions? Because you keep like answering stuff. Yeah, I want exactly. to ask you. But I, I wanted to ask you before we get to the Hall of Fame stuff because that is something we are very strongly for having you in the Hall of Fame. But no, uh, guys, get... be, get, be honest, guys. Be honest. Are you saying that because I'm here, or do you? No, no. Think, uh... <laughs> Listen. We were fans of you. We thought you were the best, one of the best heels probably in that era. Yep. You know, and for some of the people they've put in the Hall of Fame, 
well, why aren't you putting the Mountie in? Why aren't you putting Demolition? And I get this, the whole, you know, the, the Demolition really? was involved in that lawsuit and everything. But it's like, why aren't you putting these guys in? Yeah, like you said on Jeremy's show, like, who cares what they, they did to you? They, they, they made the business. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot more deserving people that should be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, a year after year, we see some that enter and you're like, where did well, that decision come from? Well, I never, I never followed the Hall of Fame, to be honest with you, after I had my falling out. I never followed wrestling for 30 years. But, but, but I could tell you, my perspective of things is everybody that was in the WrestleMania 3 card, 94,000 people should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, I also think of guys like uh, Paul Roma. And, and what was his partner there, the bodybuilder, too? Uh, Jim Powers. Powers. Jim Powers. Oh, Jim, pa oh, Jim and, Powers. And, and, and I think of Steve Lombardi. You know, guys who, who created us. So many times Steve Lombardi put me over in the ring for different things, and, and I couldn't have made it without him because funny, he, was the, he was the guy making us look good. You know, Funny story. It, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but – Jim Powers is actually the reason why this podcast kind of exists. Yes. Really? Yeah. And not indirectly because indirectly. we're both from New Jersey and Jim Powers is from the same town Vinny grew up in. Okay. And we, when we first started this show, Vinny would joke around about the fact that they're in one of the liquor stores by his old house. There was a headshot, signed headshot. By Jim Powers. Of, of Jim Powers. <laughs> and we tried everything we could to get in touch with him to find out the story behind this headshot. And it turns out somebody who listened to the show that knew Vinny knew Jim Powers from going to this liquor store. And we finally got in touch with him. It just never it never worked out to get him on the show. <laughs> but it's funny that you say his name of everybody's name yeah. in history. And that's one of the names because he was a I don't want to say a running joke, but it was this whole headshot in this liquor store. How did it get there and how did he approach it? And if it wasn't for that, this show would still probably not be going right now. And, and if it wasn't for us guys, like, you know, the middle guys, you know, and some who had spots in the top once in a while, the, the top guys wouldn't be there. Right. You know? so, 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 so I'm saying that uh, I'm hoping uh, – I'm not hoping to be in the Hall of Fame anymore. That's past me because in my mind, I already am, to be honest with you. And in the people's mind in Quebec, I'm already in the Hall of Fame as oh, far yeah. as they're concerned. So I, I got over that. But, but I, I wonder in life – how can a guy like Vince live with himself to, to decide one day he puts you in, then he takes you out for a personal reason, he puts you back in, and he, you know, it's like he's, it's almost like he's acting like he's God when you look at hockey players or you look at football players or you look at other sports. That it's, it's really professional how they put people yeah. in the Hall of Fame. And then I would never knock anybody that's in the Hall of Fame. I think that whoever just got in there so far, power to them. I'm not a jealous guy. Thank God I have all kinds of thoughts in life, but I'm not a jealous person. Yeah. So, so it's like, so whoever's there, I'm very proud. But not the fact that the, the Rougeau family in Canada and, and what we did around the world for him, for I did for 10 years and Raymond did for four years. You know, and there's no Rujos in the Hall of Fame, you know, just recognize, recognize the family. And then, you know what? A great thing. I'll tell you the greatest thing that happened to me this year, though. And it was so satisfying. You guys know Greg Gagne? Yeah, I've heard the name. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We don't Greg know. Greg Gagne, him, his father was Vern Gagne. They're promoters in Minneapolis. That's where they came. Paul Ellering, the Road Warriors. A lot of talent came out of there. AWA, I think, was there at the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, AWA. And, 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 and Greg Gagne, he called me a couple of months ago. And he told me that he made this great deal with this toy company. And now that they're going to have the, the, all the families of wrestling, the midgets, the people that never were recognized, and, 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 and we're going to have a doll, a big box 
from my great uncle Eddie Oje, who never had a doll, and my uncle Johnny, who was such a great known wrestler, and my father, they were really great. Montreal was a big place of where wrestlers came out in this business in, yeah. in the older days. So we're going to have a box where my great uncle, my father, my uncle, me, Raymond, and my other brother, Armin, and my son are going to be like the four generations of the Rougeau brothers will be in the toys. You oh, know, so, so, so the people in Quebec, when I announced that on my Facebook a couple of months ago, they went berserk. They, nice. were, they, were, they were saying like almost love. That's recognition, you know, and, and it took a guy like in Minneapolis to do something like that. It's far away from Montreal, you know, and far away from the Rougeaus, but our reputation preceded us. Like the hearts in the West, it was the Rougeaus in the East, you know, and, and that's what it was when we were young. So so what a great, uh, like Barry R was with me. What a great tap on the shoulder, you know. I got I got a, a quick question for you since we bring up uh, the hearts in the West and the Rougeaus in the East. What part of Canada have, have produced the better wrestlers in your minds, the East or the West? So are you going to be partial – I'm going to definitely be perfect. <laughs> Not because I'm afraid to speak out. You know me. I don't have my tongue yeah, yeah, yeah. wrapped up. I just think that there's so many great wrestlers that came out of Quebec. And, yeah. and, and like, uh, and, and, uh, and, but so many great wrestlers came out of the dungeon of the Hart Foundation. You know, I think that yeah. I, I think, and, and in between, like there were talent in between also that came out of Ontario. You know, and I'm trying to think of the, uh, uh, the Moscow's, the, the Stan Stasiaks and the, yep. you know, there was a, there was a lot of talent that came out. The Dupre uh, the, in, the, in the East, there was the, 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 the brothers, the, the Burks, the Leo Burke, the, the, the Hubert Galin, you know, Hubert Galin. There was a Michel Vigneault, the Frenchie Martin's brother, Michel the Patriots, you know. So many great talent came all over Canada. And that brings me now, guys, if you don't mind my, my, my saying this, I want to. I would like to talk about my wrestling academy if, if you have a couple Ooh, of minutes. Absolutely. Because, yeah, absolutely. because my, my wrestling academy is the biggest accomplished achievement I've ever done in the business, bigger than anything I've done in WWF. Because what I'm doing now is I'm I'm passing the torch to the younger talent, and you know I I'm doing this tournament. Uh, which is going to be seen on YouTube across the world because I've already done about 40, 50 podcasts in Australia and Germany and, and uh, everywhere in Europe, uh, from Liverpool to London to Manchester, everywhere. I've talked about this project and, uh, and I did something amazing. I, I, I went to recruit all the best wrestlers of all the Indies, the independent federations from, from Vancouver all the way to Halifax, from coast to coast. And I got 40 talents, 42 exactly. I want to get the male and female wrestlers. And, uh, and, and I'm making a tournament, which is going to be like for 12 weeks long. And, and every week, four are going to be eliminated. Like, you know, there's going to be on every show, there's going to be a girls match, a singles girl match, a singles man match, and a tag team match for men. And then because I only have like 10, uh, eight girls and I got 34 men. So I'm going to have one girl that's going to win this tournament and three guys that are going to win this tournament and the four winners are going to actually win five thousand dollars each you know which is better than a hundred or two hundred dollar payoff they get in the indies you know oh, yeah. it's going to be a great but that's not the biggest thing that's happening the biggest thing is for the last eight months if you go see my website wrestling-academy.ca you will see all the talent you could go click on the pictures you could see everybody, the good words of the old timers. You're going to see the girls and the men. And you're going to see they do promos, 30-second promos, where they show the highlights of themselves. They did it on their own. They all send that to me. And then they talk. You see the charisma they have. And, then, and, 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 and the, the biggest part of this tournament is 
there's two things. The first thing is there's only going to be four winners, but all 42 talents are winning now because for the last eight months, I've been introducing them to the world. You know, through the website, there's they've been seen a lot of promotion and a lot of promoters in Vancouver didn't know that there was this federation in Sherbrooke, uh, you know, Montreal or so. So now they're they're picking up all this talent that they're going to be able to fly in Canada and, to, and great workers, workers that could have been in the business because in the professional business, because there's two things that make you a professional wrestler. The first thing is like in hockey and other places, it's not always what you can do. It's who you know. And the second, the second thing is being at the right place at the right time, you know, and this is providing all this. And, and this tournament, the four winners are going to win $5,000 each. But the biggest thing that happened to me, which was amazing, is I got a QT Marshall's phone uh, from, from somebody. And uh, I don't know the guy. I haven't watched wrestling in 30 years. I don't know any of the talent except the, the ones that I've seen in the movies, John Cena, Goldberg, or Stone Cold that was like this because I'm my student. You know, or I only know those names and Kevin Owen because he was four years at my school when he first started the business. I took him at 14 years old. So so the other talent, I don't know. I, I don't I have no idea, no clue. So when I got QT Marshall's phone number from, from, from a friend, I called him up and I said, uh, Mr. Marshall, I said, um, can, can you do me a favor? I said, I, four of my winners from Canada are going to win $5,000 each, but I'd like to take them down to the Nightmare Factory just for one day. I'll take them down there with a van. I will drive from Canada. We'll go down to Atlanta. It's a 24-hour drive. And we'll get all in the same van and we'll go down. And I'd like for you to evaluate them, like just to have a look at them, to give them a chance to be seen by the best school in North America or one of the best schools in North America. And it's going to be so pre prestigious to them. So, so, so he said, Jacques, it'll be an honor for me to do that. So I said, great. So when I announced that to all my talent in Canada, they were so happy because the biggest problem in Canada is getting papers to cross the custom to go work in the States. A lot of talent, they can't do that. So, uh, so, so it was an opening for them to, to be seen. So, so here I am for about eight months now promoting uh, this video that I hope you guys have, but I will get to it in a minute because I, I, I have it sent to you. I hope you got it. I but have anyway, it pulled up on the, uh, from the site. Okay, so hold on a second before we get there. I want to tell you this story. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> so so here goes QT Marshall. He gives me this day. I announce it. Blah, okay. So now for the last eight months, I'm promoting in Australia and everywhere around the world, my podcast, I play this video that we're going to do in a minute. So now, guess what? The Nightmare Factory is getting these phone calls from everybody around the world. Because they're recruiting for big leagues, you know, the big leagues go recruit there. So it's like, so QT Marshall calls me about three weeks ago and he says to me, he says, Jacques, what are you doing? So I'm all nervous. I'm saying, oh shit, what did I do? You know, did I do something wrong or something, you know? And he says, no, he says, my phone is red at the Nightmare Factory. I can't return all the calls that I'm getting. He says, you're doing a great job of publicity and promotion. So he says, why don't I do something? Tell your four winners that I'll give them a week at the Nightmare Factory instead of one day. And I went like this. I said, wow, that's so important. That's so important. I'll tell you why, guys. You got to put yourself in my position. When I did some big things like that, my first match of this or my first thing of that, I got dry throat, so nervous. You never have a second chance to make a first impression. But now if you fuck up on Monday, you got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday to make it up. So, yeah. so everybody's so excited in Canada, but here's the deal. So I asked Cutie Marshall about a week ago. I'm doing this big, big podcast in Montreal, and Nick Drosis, and it's, it's a huge podcast. So I just, and there's a lot of haters and controversial people are saying that I'm using the, the name of the Nightmare Factory. It's all bullshit and this, that. So I called uh, 
security up. And I said, QT, I'm going on this podcast tonight with Nick Drosis. Would you mind just confirming my deal that I have with you? So I'll, I'll make it legit that everybody will shut up, you know, and they'll right. stop. And so, so he, so he sends me this. So I'm going on this show. And, and just before I go on the show, my girlfriend who's helping me so much in this project, it's just me and her actually. And it's like, so, so we look at this, this video. And, and, and there we are going one week with my winners. So now he sends me this video to put on the podcast that I'm going on. Now you can go ahead and show and watch the surprise that I get. <laughs> From All Elite Wrestling and one of the owners of one of the best training facilities in the world, the Nightmare Factory. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to Nick, who runs a Rise podcast. And this evening has Jacques Rougeau on there. And Jacques has a great project in the works. I'm excited about it. In fact, the Nightmare Factory has even uh, told Mr. Rougeau that the winners – of this project will receive a special three month, 12 week scholarship to the nightmare factory, which is seen <laughs> all over the world come right. train with us. And, and honestly, some have signed contracts with major wrestling organizations in the world, such as AEW and stuff like that. So um, I'm excited for this project. I think it's a great for, for aspiring professional wrestlers all throughout Canada. Um, I support it. And I hope that if all works out well, I'll be able to come up to Montreal and partake in being one of the judges of this of this special project. So good luck to everyone. Just wanted to say hello. Just wanted to let everybody know that it is me, um, and we are offering this scholarship to the winners. So uh, you can read into it, whatever you want, but you've heard it straight from the horse's mouth. It is true. And, again, good luck to everyone, and hopefully see you soon. So listen, guys, I'm expecting to get my week confirmation there. Yeah, and 12. then I get this 12 weeks, three months. You know what yeah. that means, guys? I'll tell you what it means. It means that all the people from AEW that are stationed in Atlanta, that are based in Atlanta, they go work out there and they train there. So so after one week, you know, after one day, if they would have been there one day, it was like, hello, Mr. Marshall. And, you know, like I said, you know, it's the end of the world one day. After a week, it's like, uh, well, thank you very much, Mr. Marshall. And it was a pleasure to be here. But now my talent is like a month has gone by. And now the, um, two months has gone by. And now it's not Mr. Marshall. It's a hi, cutie. And now it's like uh, the boys that come and work out there, maybe one of the wrestlers go by the ring and they have a chance to see one of the talent. They say, hey, you know, maybe you could do this. That would, that would help you. So now it's not – it's being at the right place at the right time. It's knowing the right people, what I was yeah. telling you before, to make it in this business. So so imagine the, the, the frenesi, like I say in French, and the, 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 the big wave of, of incredible and Canadian wrestlers' minds right now that they're going to the, the wrestling-academy.ca, how much okay. how they feel about winning this thing because they're going to go for three full months to see the boys and yep, see Judy Marshall. So that's the biggest thing that I've ever put together because me, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be anything with the big league. <laughs> I've had my share, but I'm passing the torch to the younger talent. And, and, you know, and one one day, I honestly believe that QT Marshall at this point in time has taken this project like his own pet project. And, you know, so so I honestly believe that maybe if out of the four, there's maybe two that could make it to the big leagues. Who knows? And if that happens, that will be because of my girlfriend and me who put that thing together. You know, and so 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 that's how I am happy today. I, I feel so good about myself. And that awesome. could be a yearly thing, like every year you do another, and then all of a sudden it yeah. grows numbers. And well, you know, to be honest with you, I already planned. We have already planned on doing next year again, but with uh, Mexico 
United States and Canada, North America next year. Just this oh, year right. was Canada, and so it's going to be so popular, and everybody's it's talking. Canada, every yeah. newspaper, every TV station, every radio station is like getting into this thing. Like this, just uh, just telling you this, I'm giving you a scoop uh, that uh, uh, tomorrow morning I'm going to this wrestling school. It's a federation called the uh, FML. You know the and and it's in Saint Jean sur Richelieu. I'm already here. I'm in the hotel room now because I live two hours away. Because tomorrow morning, the biggest newspaper in Quebec that has two million people that reads it, they're giving me three full pages this weekend on Wrestling Academy. You know, and there, and so I had all my talent that lives in Quebec, and there's like twenty two, twenty one talent comes from Quebec, and forty two come from Canada. But half of them come from here in Quebec. So they're all coming to the school tomorrow morning and they're going to be exposed in the biggest newspaper. It's the biggest spread they'll ever have in their life. And so everybody now in Quebec is going to be really on fire with this project. So so that's why I drove here at the hotel. I just want to, I didn't want my car to break down or something on my way tomorrow morning. I wanted to make sure that I'm there. And then, and, and guys, I'm so, so, so excited of all this. That's awesome. Sure, yeah. everybody else that's involved, you know, all the wrestlers are super excited too hearing that you know hearing that news that's a huge opportunity and there's something else that you got to keep in mind too because you know i i'm not a rich guy in life i'm not I, I own my home and that's it and i could have done a lot better but i've always had this quality in me i call it a quality like uh, even when we're starting when people start voting in and we're going to have some money coming into the show we've been working for eight months and never made a dime but when we have money starting to come in out of all the, the people that are going to vote it's going to cost one dollar to vote to see so there's going to be three judges by the ring that they're going to judge 40 percent of who's staying and who's leaving but 60 percent people are going to be able to vote around the world on my channel to see right. who they keep and who they let go so it's going to cost a dollar but out of that money that's going to come in, we're giving 25% of the homeless in Montreal. It's, it's Care Montreal, which it helps the people that that, that had uh, bad luck in life, you know. And yeah. and I was so I was one of the first guys when they chose me a spokesman this year for for the homeless in Montreal. I was the first guy that had my my ideas already set that they're these guys are no good, you know. They don't want to help themselves in life. They're just no, it's no good. That, and when I went to visit them and then I spent the night with them, I slept there with the little bugs and everything in the beds and everything. I lived that thing. And I saw a doctor. I saw a guy who was divorced. I saw a businessman who lost everything. I had all these, pre uh, these how do you say this? this Preconceived notions. Yes. Yeah. Great word. And it was like, and, and, and I couldn't believe it. I was saying, Jesus Christ, I, I was off the track. So now I'm so happy. And I realized that I could end up there one day. You yep. could end up there one day. So, you know, it's like it's everybody's problem. It's not only. So I'm so happy that we're going to give 25% of the the, the, the money to the foundation. And uh, so so anyway, that's it. So this project is so good for so many things oh, yeah. that, that, I, that I feel great about. You were like the nicest man in the world. Yeah, in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my mom that thinks At least that. the nicest man in Quebec. Like, we're looking at the Mountie for our whole life going, this fucking snobby <laughs> asshole. <laughs> and, and then we meet you, we're like, this guy's a saint. <laughs> no, I'm not a saint. I'm just, but you know what? I got the big heart and uh, I'm not, I don't like violence. I never was. And I always admitted that I never was a fighter. You know, my brother Raymond's a tough guy. My fa my father was a tough guy, but I think that part went down my mother's leg when, when I came out. But anyway, <laughs> and, but, but all that to say that uh, I, I'm an artiste, you know, and I like to, to entertain and have fun. And I never took myself very seriously. It was, and that's the reason why I got into wrestling because if, if it would have been true, 
you know, I never would have went into wrestling because I'm not a violent person. Do you mind it now? Do you mind, I don't know how much time you have. I have a couple more questions I wanted to ask you that you actually didn't cover. Can you talk to me about the, I think it was in Montreal, the victory over Hulk Hogan when he was WCW champion in 97? Yeah, that was amazing. That was, uh, you know, we had just left the Vince a year before that, uh, unhappy. And uh, so uh, when I had my falling out with Vince and then, but I realized after a year that the wrestling is a passion that lives in me, you know, and it's going to live when I was four years old and I'm going to die with it. And uh, so I, I, I had a lawyer friend in Montreal called Cookie Lazarus, who, uh, who had all the connections, my God. And he was such a big firm of, of lawyers in Montreal. So he, he liked me a lot. He was a friend of mine, be a, a long story short, because I went to a bar mitzvah. He was a Jewish guy, and his son was turning a man at the age of 14. And after a big show in Montreal, he asked me to go to his party, dressed up as the wrestler coming out of the Montreal Forum. And I did it. And he always stuck to be my friend after that, and he always helped me. So he got... He told me that uh, he could get this deal for TV for WCW. They were trying to come into Montreal and Vince owned, owned the rights and everything of that TV station. So finally, uh, because I was well recognized and known, so he managed to get me the deal to offer to them WCW to bring him into Montreal. And 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 then so when that happened, we went, Carl and I, as the amazing French Canadians, that didn't last very long because Eric Bischoff didn't like us at all. He had, he, now we didn't get along good at all. And he had other plans. But I, he was treating us like jabronis, you know, like coming into the territory. And I didn't want to leave one federation to go into another one and to become a jobber, you know. So so I knew things were going well there, but they were paying so much money to so much talent like us, just not even working, just sitting at home just because they owned us. And, then, and they knew they had the TV in Montreal now because of me. So it's like they kept me on the payroll and stuff. But, but, but eventually uh, the, uh, the tempers collided between Eric Bischoff and, and Hulk. And, 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 and I had word of it. So I went to see Hulk and I wasn't happy at all in WCW. So I just went to, and, and I, I took a long shot. I just told Hulk, I said, hey, I, I, could, I could open the territory for you guys. You could do your first show, WCW in Montreal, if you want. And I said, I could open the Molson Center for you guys, where the Montreal Canadiens were playing at. And, and, and Vince had the exclusivity, but I had that taken away from him. And that was all the receipts I was sending to Vince, like opening up. And I told Hulk I could do that for him. But I said, the only thing I'm asking in favor, I'd like to work with you. You know, that would be a dream for me because I'm going to organize this with my lawyer. And we're going to call this the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Battle of the Legends. Me being a Quebec legend only and you being a world legend. You know, so we'll put the Battle of the Legends. So Hulk, he accepted and I was so, I couldn't believe it. So, so anyway, we did a couple of promos where I was doing a promo in Atlanta and he came and slapped me behind the head when I was doing a promo and go back to Canada. And then he was big NWO, big time at the time. He was the peak of his career and uh, in, in WCW. And then I, I did a, when he landed in Montreal the night of the show, I had the two limousines pull up at the airport. One I was in and the other one was for him. And I had all the TV stations because I had the connections in Montreal and, and the media loved me. I was close to the media all the time. And then because I played charity hockey for them and chair baseball charity all my life for them. So I had a great relationship with the papers and then and the TV stations. So I asked them to come at the airport to, to greet Hulk when he got up that night for the show. And when he did, all the TV cameras in front of him, and Hulk loved that he's coming out like the big strutting and stuff. And then the limousine pulls up, and he and, and the guy opens the door. And while Hulk's cutting a promo to CFCF 12 TV, I get out of the limo, and he turns around, and I slap the shit out of him. I swear to God, I slapped him in the in the neck. 
that was the deal. But I, but, but uh, so anyway, long story short is that I jumped back in the limousine and he's like a commotion. You're not, you're not allowed to do that in, in an airport. You know, it's like, it's against the law to do things like that. But I managed to get that quick one out and jump back in the limo and got out of there. So Hulk got in the limo. So down the road, about a mile down the road, the driver of the limo calls me up and he's in the front. And he says, Hey, someone's on the phone wants to talk to you. So I knew it's Hulk, you know, so I pick up the phone and said, Hey, how you doing? He said, you broke my fucking tooth. So he tells me that, you know, he says, you broke my fucking tooth. So I go like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. He says, "Fuck you," and he hangs up. You know, <laughs> like that. Holy shit! <laughs> you know, and, and I really broke his tooth. But but long story short is that he must have cooled down because when we got in the dressing room, Harlem Heat there, Dean Malenko, uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero, uh, Mongo McMichael with his his girlfriend uh, Deborah, uh, uh, Lex Luger was there. Uh, Anyway, a big card. They send me a lot of talent for that opening show in Montreal. And in front of all the boys, Hulk just went and he said, uh, he came up to me and he says, uh, hey, brother, he says, so what are we doing tonight? <laughs> like, like, you know, like, who the fuck am I? You know? <laughs> what are we doing tonight? So I'm looking at him and I swear I started laughing like this. I'm laughing out loud and all the boys are laughing too. You know, it's like, it's so funny. And he said, I'm serious, brother. He says, what are we doing tonight? It's your show. He says, what are we doing? He says, uh, I said, well, whatever you want to do, all, you know, just whatever you want to do. I'm just so happy that he's there working with me. He says, okay. He says, well, how do you want to go over? So everybody, like, I laughed again incredibly. Everybody's laughing. And then he's serious. He says, brother, it's your show. He says, I'm putting you over here tonight. And then I realized that he was real. And I said to him, I said, you know, I don't know what to say. I said, uh, he, he says, what do you want to do? I says, well, I said, okay, then if that's the case, I said, you beat me up the whole match and I'll just small package at the end, you know, or something like that. I felt so bad going over. I had, yeah. had no deserving of going over against a man like that, you know, and uh, and so on. So anyway, we got in the ring, did our match, and, and finally when it was a little snuggish too, I'll tell you the match, I, I think the problem was is, when I went out to the ring, I told Hulk, I said, I'll go in first because you are the legend, you know, and I'll go out first. And so when I went out in my hometown, about 99% of the people booed my ass. And I didn't call, I didn't call that shot. I, I was smart to the business. I'd been in the business a long time, but I missed that one. And, you know, it's like uh, I must have believed in myself so much at home, but I was nothing compared to the, to the NWO and to what was going on. You know, it was so hot, so amazing. So when he came out, Obviously, there was 99% of the people cheering for him with the bandanas and everything. So he must have he must have regretted his decision going <laughs> to the ring. But anyway, when he got in the ring, you know, we had a snuggish match and everything. And finally, at the end, I small package him and I rolled out of the ring. And then during the match, he made me look great, too. Like, you know, he made me come off the second rope doing some stuff and everything. I couldn't believe it how he put me over. And uh, so I'm in the when I come in the dressing room after the match, there's no boys. The dressing room was empty. Like, there's nobody there. I, I don't know if it was because the boys didn't want to see it or didn't want to believe it or, or whatever. But I was alone when I came back. And I, so I got in front of the mirror and it's a little messed up, you know, because we got a little snuggish in there. But, you know, just yeah. look good. But I, I, anyway, long story short, maybe it's me that's exaggerating, but I felt like it was a little snug there. But anyway, so I'm in front of the mirror looking at myself. And then he comes in and he says to me, says, uh, you okay, brother? And I says, uh, yeah, <laughs> although I wasn't, you know, not all. <laughs> I said, I said, yeah. 
And I was so happy. I couldn't believe what just happened. And uh, and even when I got the pinfall, you know, I rolled right out of the ring right away and I left the ring. I was, you know, I had to win the people back over. And, you know, it was a hard job because I, I went to get the people 50-50 at the end of the match. 50% of the people came back with me because he was cheating the whole time and I was being a baby face. You know, so I really got to get 50% back of the crowd. And so when I got there and uh, and finally he turned around and, uh, and I asked him, I said, why'd you do that? Before he walked out of the door, I said, Hulk. Turned back around and said, well, why'd you do that? He says, Eddie Oje, Johnny Rougeau, Jacques Rougeau, Raymond Rougeau. He says, you, all the Rougeaus, what you've done to the business. He says, for me, it's a way to say thank you. Oh, wow. you, know, you know, and, 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 and it was amazing. But I think Jimmy Hart came and told me that it was also he and, and because of what I did to the Bulldog. You know, he never he never say that, but he didn't like the bullying either. You know, Hulk and you know Hulk through this big thing. I'm sure at sometimes he was afraid too in the judge room that the bulldog would start ribbing him too. You know, because they were they were on a path of reign of terror. You know, and there was no limits to what they'd do. But 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 I realize now today, I think, and this is all here me saying it's not nothing credit credible. It's only me talking. I think that he had a little falling out with Eric Bischoff. Because Eric Bischoff was the boss, but Hulk was the boss. Yeah, you know, it was like so. I think that when he came and he worked with me, uh, Bischoff was. So, well, the reason why I'm saying that is because the next TV taping, we came back in the dressing room, the amazing French Canadians, me and Carl, and we were working against a giant and another guy. I think it was Diesel, and the giant, and they, and they wanted to. They squashed us, but not only they squashed us, but they. They said to Eric Bischoff, looked at me in my face, and he, and he said, that, he says, I want you, Jacques, he says, to go up on the top rope there. And he says, Paul, I want you to grab Jacques there. And he says, I want you to throw him off onto the table in the bottom of the ring. And I was saying to myself, no, that's Carl's gimmick, you know. <laughs> that's, 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 Carl takes them, but not me. You know, I'm an old timer now that are getting at this age. I don't take bumps like that. It's not my style. And I said, no, Carl will do it. He says, no. He says, you're going to do it. And I said, no, Carl's going to do it. I told Bischoff, Carl's going to do it, not me. And I looked at him right in the eyes, and that was the end of it. After that, he never used us again, but we got paid for the whole year of the contract just <laughs> sitting at home. So I think that the problem, maybe Hulk wanted to show Bischoff who was the boss. Yeah. There was so many, there's, so many, there's so many theories that I put in my mind, you know, and uh, the recognition for the family, the bulldog that just happened not long ago, and, uh, and all this. So, so who knows? Maybe if you talk to Hulk one day, he'll really tell you the truth. But... Uh, but for me, it was just the greatest moment in my life because so many guys, so many few guys had beat Hulk at the time. Yeah. And I was the only Canadian to ever beat Hulk. So my wow. notoriety, my notoriety, and I can tell you that every time I did a promo or an interview on the radio or everything, the first thing I had people say was, hey, congratulations on your victory with Hulk Hogan. <laughs> because, because I build my credibility with that a lot, you know? And uh, so that's why uh, all this to say that uh, I, I, I really... I really loved my career I had. I think I had a great career, you know, and uh, and what I'm doing now with my wrestling-academy.ca is take a look at this. It's, it's really awesome because you'll see there's great talent in there in Canada. And uh, and anyway, so I'm very proud of uh, my career and what I've accomplished uh, so far. And as, as well, you should be. And they did use you again. They brought you out at uh, New Blood Rising 2000 to be the yeah. uh, rules keeper yeah, for the, the Canadian uh, rules match. Lance Storm. Yeah, Lance Storm. Yeah. I did something with Brett. Me and Brett ended up uh, putting Lance Storm's arm up in the air. And that was so funny because 
then again, Johnny Ace was the assistant booker at the time, and uh, which was uh, one of the Road Warriors' brother uh, and uh, uh, Animal's brother. It was Johnny Ace, and, and, and he was very, very nice to me. And uh, and when I got there, and I told him, they asked me to go for them, and I told them, I said, hey, I said I don't mind. They wanted me to be a special guest referee. I said, hey, I said I have no problem with that, but I said uh, I'm not going to do any jobs. You know, I just letting you know right ahead of time. So we went that first night where I was Brett in the ring and we put Lance Storm's hand up in the air, I believe. I think it was something that I had to do with that. I can't remember really. But uh, but the next night we were in, uh, uh, what was that town? Jesus Christ. It was another town. Anyway, uh, in, 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 in British Columbia, there was two nights. And, and, and I was at that other town. And they wanted me and Carl to do a job in, in, against... Uh, uh, there was this black guy and another guy that were a team, and then and they and this black guy used to dance all, all the time over his opponent when he'd win, you know. Smiley, I uh, could be, I don't know. Anyway, I was so upset when they came up to me the second night and wanted me to do a job. I told them when I was at the other end of the country, I'm not coming in to do jobs, you know. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I told Carl, I said, let's not do it. Let's just let's not, not do it. Let's go home. I'm like screw them. And Carl was like, uh, he saw an opportunity again. You know, he was not so sure of himself, I guess. And he said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay. I said, well, you stay. I said, do what you have to do. I said, I'm leaving. So I took the play and I went home and he went to, 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 to the other place. And I saw the match on TV where, where this guy's dancing all over him, you know, and he did the squash job in the middle. And then after that, he had problems. Uh, so, so, so he should have listened to me then, you know. Like, you know, sometimes you have to say no. In this business, like you know, especially if you have an understanding before you go and do something, and uh, but yes, I did that other that appearance there, and then, and then that was it again, you know. So it was like, uh, I think I honestly think that uh, if I look back at a lot of things, I think that Vince has a lot of problem with the the Quebec uh, talent, like you know, uh, Rick Martel is not in the Hall of Fame. Lord knows he should be. You know, I mean, Jesus Christ, Rick Martel was AEW champion. He was, he was such a great talent and such a great uh, a guy, a nice guy. And then even, even Dino Bravo, you know, Dino Bravo, he's got he had a great, great reputation in Quebec, and uh, yeah. and he did pretty good, you know, with Greg Dammer Valentine and Beefcake, and he and he was uh, he was promised a lot more before they they dyed his hair blonde, you know, which was <laughs> funny because an Italian with blonde hair, that boy, he sure got he sure got intimidated. But uh, by the other Italians. But anyway, uh, all, all this to say that uh, he never acknowledged the uh, Quebec wrestlers' events, and uh, and I don't know. I, I I don't quite understand. It's it's funny that you say because your your brother worked as the uh, French commentator for, while, for yeah. how many years? They'd always show the you know around the world. It's all the and your brother was always Ray was always one of the French commentators. Well, maybe Ray didn't think he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, and that's his problem. But uh, but I I mean it's prerogative, but 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 for me he's happy to be a mayor of a city now. But 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 for me it's different, you know. I thought when uh, when we what Raymond and I did and it was it was we should have been in the Hall of Fame. And if that's not enough, then then I was empty. The Mountie, what a gimmick, you know. I, I I'm so I'm so in demand everywhere around the world for Comic Cons, like you know. And then, and then if that's not good enough, three-time tag team champions of Quebec, with yeah. you know, in, innovating moves. And we, we brought something to the business and, and we'll work with the top guys, you know, uh, the Hart and the Steiners, 
who did they think the guys work with you know so the rockers me and raymond and you know we had so much classics we had marathon matches me and raymond against the rockers an hour match long where we had the more falls and one time we were overseas and because there's six hours difference we we're in london we had an hour match we flew we left at, at like two o'clock in the afternoon and we got in in the united states at two o'clock in the afternoon because there's six hours difference and we worked in philly that night we did another hour match and we went to the Madison Square Garden about two days later. And two days later, we went to the Madison Square Garden. We, Vince wanted to see that match so bad. We got out match, and then we screwed Vince because we, we were supposed to be 6-5 for the Rockers for the Falls. And we ended up, and we were all into this. The Rockers and me and Raymond, we all played a rib on Vince because we ended up doing a 6-6 when the, the bell rang after an hour. So then I went down to the floor and took the microphone. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, you think you're gonna get away with this? We want overtime, and <laughs> we did another little <laughs> minute, you know, overtime. So you talk about talent, you know. We we were talent, and, and we were we were even when we were baby faces, and we weren't over that much. Me and Raymond working against the Hearts, and then and and different guys. You know, one guy told me one time, and I think it was Hulk. Hulk told me this. He said, and I'm almost sure it's Hulk. He said to me, he said, you know. This business, people think that the most important match in the card is the main event. But the most important match in the card is the first one. Because if you start the people the right way, the rest of the night is just going to flow. And he told yeah. me so many times that you and Raymond, when you opened the show, the show was so good because it was so credible that everything that followed went through. And, and so I think that's why I talked earlier, that those guys that opened the shows and they were underneath the card, middle cards, that made the people get up on their feet, made them ready for the main event, they are as deserving as the main events. Oh, yeah, they set the tone for the night. I'll tell you a good, <laughs> I'll tell you a good story, too, if you want to have a good story of wrestling. I, I want to honor a friend of mine, uh, Rick Flair, because uh, I was in TBS, I was young, I was like in 79, I think, or maybe 80. And, and the TBS was the only territory at the time where all the other territories, Florida, Knoxville, Tennessee, everywhere, Kansas, they had their own, their own territories. But TBS was seen from Boston to San Francisco. It was coast to coast on TBS, you'd see. And I was the biggest jobber that was there when I was young. I was, and my name was Jerry Roberts. I changed my name because I was so bad. I didn't want to ruin the Rougeau family name. And I go to the Omni that night, uh, actually at TBS in the morning. We do the tapings at TBS at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. And then there was a 5 o'clock show in the air and then the Omni that night. So that's how they'd work in Atlanta when I was there, when Ole Anderson and Thunderbolt Patterson, Tommy Rich, those guys were there. Wahoo McDaniel was a great crew. And uh, so I get to the TV station in the morning for the tapings, and on the board I see Jerry Roberts against Rick Flair. And I go like, wow, holy shit. I'd only been in the business like two, three years, you know, and it was amazing for me. He was world champion NWA. He was he was like Andre the Giant going from territory to territory, just main events and big draws in every territory. And that's how he was known, Rick Flair. And then, so he was working with me on TV station. So we got to this. So, so I, I see him come in. I'm so freaking nervous. And I said, and then I come up to him and I said, Mr. Flair, I said, uh, I'm Jerry Roberts. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a job for you today. You know, and he says, uh, I said, is there something? He said, oh, don't worry, kid. He says, we'll, we'll do it out there. So I said, okay. So, so I just turned around and I'm just so in, 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 in intimidated by just being in the ring with Ric Flair. And uh, 
But we get in the ring, and we get a six-minute match. And for five minutes, he makes me drop, kick, leapfrog, drop down, drop kick off the top rope, cross body block off the top rope. I'm kicking his ass for about five minutes, and I'm the biggest jabroni in the territory. And then he beats me at the end. I screw something up. I miss a big dive off the top, and then he does. He puts his figure for me, and he beats me. So I get back to the dressing room, and when I got in the dressing room, I looked at him, and I said, Mr. Flair, I said, why do you do that? You know, you know, I, I certainly didn't help you. You're, you're, you're merchant value, you know, you know, and I'm the worst guy. And he looked at me and he told me the biggest lesson I've had in wrestling. He says, you know what, kid? He says, if I want to go out there and I want to age you up in the ring for six minutes, I want to beat you. He says, who would I want to beat? I would have beat a nobody. He says, now you came out there and you surprised me, you shined, you did, you were great, and then I beat you the better. He says that one made me look better, and and, and and you know I looked after that, and the psychology of wrestling had just turned completely around. You know, like just yeah. learned the greatest lesson of all time. So so uh, honor to Ric Flair. You know, uh, I want to send him that uh, that uh, thought. The man's a legend, and that's a that's an amazing story. What what's the story behind what happened at WrestleMania ten? Because I've read some things that you guys were supposed to actually go over. And then they came to you last minute and said, "No, we kind of we want to end it in a different way. We, you know, you're not going to drop. You know, you're not going to drop the titles, but it's going to be a count out or a DQ. What happened there?" Yeah. Well, you got the stories for about four months. I was going around the the, the world. Carl and I we were doing jobs for for jobbers, <laughs> and we were like, but they were we were building every team around us. The conquistadors and. And guys like Paul Roma and Jim Powers, we're building them. They were beating us, but uh, it wasn't for the belt. So we were losing all our merchant value, like, you know, in the eyes of the public, you know, because people like winners. They don't like losers, you know. And uh, and, and by that time, uh, but we didn't mind, even though we did the jobs in Toronto, Canada, everywhere. And in my hometown in Montreal, we'd get beat. But then it was like, it's okay, because they kept telling us the whole time, don't worry, guys, because at WrestleMania 10, you're going to beat men on a mission. You're going to beat them right in the middle with that big tower move we used to do, me and Carl. Nice yeah, shot, man. huh? Anyway, so we do, <laughs> so we're doing, so we do the tower thing. And that, so we were going on every night, keeping us from breaking down because we knew at WrestleMania 10 we were going to get all our credibility back. And about during the afternoon before the show, uh, maybe a couple hours before the show, Pat comes to see me. And he says, uh, "Jean, he says, listen, uh, he says we're gonna have to. He says we're gonna have to change something." He says, so, "So I knew right away something was wrong." And then, and then he says, "Listen, if we the moms in the middle, he says what's gonna be left for them?" And the first thought that came to my mind is, "I don't give a shit," because for the last four months you've been making us lose all our credibility, promising us we'd win it tonight. It was just a matter right. of a, its word. And so, uh, so finally, they, they they had us win by DQ or something. And uh, so I went right before the match. I went to see Vince backstage, and I asked him to open his book, his booking book uh, sheet. And uh, he had like a two months of bookings ahead of time. I, I actually all the way to Tel Aviv and Israel, and and I told him I kept turning the page with him, and then he knew what was coming. And when I got to the page where it was blank in his book, his booking sheet. I just told him, I said, I'm finishing there, and that's it. And then and that was the biggest falling out between us because after all these years and after all these, how can I say that? After all these blood, 
blood and sweat and injuries and lost luggage and everything that we did over the years for the WWF, yeah. it wasn't a way to be treated. You know, and then and I'm, 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 I'm the old-fashioned guy who, if you promise me something and you shake my hand, yeah. I don't need a contract. You know, yep. your word, your word is good for me. And I've always been like that on my life. So, so that was our big, the big falling out between me and Vince. It never was the same after that. Yeah. If a man don't have his word, he's got nothing in my mind. So anyway, long story short is uh, I think I'm not the only one who's had problems with Vince anyway down the road. And I realized that unfortunately I didn't thought he was a man like that, but he is a promoter yeah. and, 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 you know, so, but unfortunately, uh, I don't work like that. And there goes the reason why the Mountie will never be in the Hall of Fame. The Mountie will be in the yeah. Hall of Fame. Yeah. And we will start that committee. But if you had, do you have a message for Vince McMahon right now? If you could see, if he could, if Vince McMahon ever listened to this episode, do you have a message for Vince McMahon right now, whether it be about your Hall of Fame status, how he treated you? Yeah. I have one message for him Vince, my first day I met you, you told me the sky was the limit. And, and uh, so, so let's put bygones be bygones. Let's look at all the good things we did together. And God damn it, put me in the Hall of Fame before I zap you, man. Before I zap you with my shot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Handcuffs for a room and shot with the, 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 the shot with the top. Hashtag Mountie in the Hall of Fame. We're going to start that yeah. as soon as this show's over. No, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for uh, – coming on our platform, telling stories, you know, like we said, you're an integral part of our wrestling experience growing up when we were, we were younger and it was well, thank an honor you. to have you on our show. Once again, if you could just tell everybody about, you know, pink shirt day and about wrestling, CA, just tell everybody about it one more time, plug it. Well, thank you so much for giving me the platform. I'll just say that, uh, Thank you, Mike Cohen, today for, for, for putting me as spokesman against bullying in Canada and in my province for uh, something that I take at heart tremendously, the good old pink shirt day. And, uh, and Wrestling Dash Academy, uh, I got to thank my girlfriend for sometimes, you know, I, I, I felt like quitting because times were hard and, and she pushed me behind this. And now we're having the biggest project. And so you could go on wrestling-academy.ca and could follow. And you know what? I'll tell the last thing. I'm a great, great fan of the voice around the world. I love music. Music has always been part of me. And uh, and every time I'd see a video, you know, and I always see people go like, subscribe and press the button. And I'd always, say, like, I'd always click it off, like, get out of there. You know? like, I don't want to hear it. And now I'm doing that. So it's like, <laughs> subscribe to wrestling-academy.ca, follow the, the notifications, and you'll be able to vote you'll be able to be part of this great experience and, and decide who's going to go to the Nightmare Factory with QT Marshall and who's going to be the last four winning the $5,000. So so stay tuned to the wrestling-academy.ca. And thank you guys for, for having me on your podcast and giving me the time. You guys are re uh, really fun. It was fun. Thank you. Really appreciate thank it. Jacques, thank you. It's been a pleasure. You're always welcome here. If you ever have anything else you want to plug or promote, please just reach out to me on Facebook, and uh, we'd love to have you back on. Yeah, thank it was you. A thank, thank you very you so much. much. You guys, it's up to you if you want to just follow this adventure, wrestling-academy.ca. And as we get closer and closer, if ever you feel like it, you know, we show the people that are eliminated and the last four that win, you know, that would be a great thing for Canada to have the exposure out of you guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're gonna uh we're gonna tweet it out and uh we'll definitely 
keep the updates as it comes along. Ladies and gentlemen, the nicest man, and at least <laughs> back, maybe the whole wrestling world, Jacques Rougeau. Stop it. <laughs> Thank the you best so guy, much. The best guy in the world, the best guy in the world that I've ever met was Owen Hart. So anyway, yeah. you take care. Yeah. Take care of yourselves, and, and good luck to you guys. Thank, Thank you so much. much. We'll talk to you soon. So yeah, we just had the Mountie, uh, Jacques Rougeau on, and uh, he's promoting uh, Pink Shirt Day was today in uh, Canada. It's an anti-bullying thing, and you can go to uh, wrestling-academy.ca, and uh, it's a contest. It's got four wrestlers who win $5,000, and then they get uh, 12 weeks at uh, Nightmare Factory. Guy was the fucking nicest human being probably yeah, ever. Yeah, he's pretty nice. And considering that he would uh, handcuff people to the bottom rope and fucking tase them. Yeah, he, he, he turned out to be the nice guy. Great stories. 25% of the proceeds to uh, vote for the Wrestling Academy tournament go towards feeding the homeless in Quebec. So if you guys are interested, when you listen to the tournament, we're going to try to keep updates with it, maybe have some wrestlers on that get eliminated. Uh, when the voting comes, you can pay a dollar to vote. 25% go to feeding the homeless in Quebec. It's a great cause. So hopefully that everyone get on board and uh, we can support Jacques Rougeau and his amazing cause, not only helping Canadian wrestlers achieve their dreams, but also helping our fellow man. And we're starting this today, and I'm sure uh, Jeremy Prophet from Jofo in the Ring, our good friend, uh, probably already started it, but hashtag Mountie in the Hall of Fame. Yes. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame along with uh, all the other wrestlers, and I, I agree with this point. It doesn't matter what Vince's personal feelings towards somebody should be. It should be about what they contributed to the business. And if anybody contributed more than the hearts, it was the Rougeaus. Jacques Rougeau and his brother Raymond deserve, and his whole family deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So uh, we thank you, Jacques, for coming on the show. It was a fucking amazing interview. And we will definitely have him on again. Um, just give people an update on what's going to happen. Hopefully, maybe very soon, but possibly next week. We're supposed to have her on this week. Uh, Jessica Darling, XPW Starlet, Valet, and AVN Award winner and adult actress of our childhood or our adolescence. Fucking cool-ass person. Can't wait to have her on. She will be our first female interview, and uh, we're looking forward to it. She will be promoting California. Vinny, where can we find this show? You can find this show on Spotify, a Front Face Lock podcast. You can find us on Apple iTunes. You can find us on anchor.fm slash podcast or anywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. You can also buy our merchandise. We have a couple cool shirts. We have the Front Face Lock podcast shirt. We have the Angry Vinny shirt with Y. And we have the Watch Wrestling Drink Heavily Rant Often shirt that's a newest shirt on Zazzle.com slash store slash front face lock along with other merchandise that you can buy. You can also find me on Twitter at VinFrontFaceLOK. You can find me on TikTok at VinnyViolence. And Ryan, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at ObsoleteMule256. This show at Front Face Lock. Instagram and Facebook at Front Face Lock Podcast. TikTok at Front Face Lock Podcast. 
Uh, thank you very much to Lucky 13 Beard Company. Um, he's brewing up a new batch. He's posted on uh, Instagram. He's going to have some new, new stuff coming out. We're, we're definitely going to be doing, a uh, at some point, a WrestleMania prediction show live stream with our League of Extraordinary Idiots, as usual. Yeah, yeah that's all I got. Jacques show. It was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, very cool guy. One of the Quebecers. Cool as hell. And we always know that the Mountie gets his man. So zip oh, it up and zip it out. All right, so if you do not, bye. See you. See you. All right, uh, later, dudes. S you in your A's. Don't wear a C in jail over your B's. <laughs>